All right, Genesis chapter 37. This is what it says in verse number 1. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. All right, that tells you all you need to know about Joseph in his early years. He's a tattletale, right? Um, verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Now, do you, see, do you see how the drama is quickly escalating here, right? We got a man with multiple wives, right? Listen, that's, that's never a good thing, okay? I don't, I don't care. It's never a good thing. I don't care what TV show you watched that said it was. It ain't. Uh, that's not a good thing. We got, we got a man with, with multiple wives. We got, a, we got a kid who's telling on all his other brothers, half-brothers, by the way. And, and then we've got a father who uh, loves one of them more than the rest, right? And some of you coming from multiple child households can relate to that feeling, either one way or the other, right? Uh, not my kids, though. It never happens. Um, right? Right. Right, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had born, been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph. You guys know what the gift was? It was a coat of many colors. Or if you're reading the NLT, it was a beautiful robe. Yeah, yeah, Piper's on board. She knows the story that says. And uh, it was a coat of many colors. But his brothers, verse 4, hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. So much so that they could not say a kind word to him. Right? All right, let's pray because we're going to need it. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that in your word, you share it all. You show it all. You don't hide the bad parts. But, God, you let them be in there so that we can see them, so that we can learn from them. And, Lord, sometimes so that we can even relate to them. God, I pray you bless your word. Help me as I preach to speak what you would have me say. Nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So here in Genesis 37, we have the, the soil for some intense family drama. Anybody ever go through some family drama of their own? Yeah, yeah. You, hopefully not with the people in the room with you and you're calling them out, but maybe so. Those of you that are looking at me cross-eyed, that aren't raising your hand, I, I, I hear you. I feel your heart there. I, I, saw, I saw that look of wide-eyed fear come along your, your face, and you knew that if you raised your arm, you're going to get punched in the ribs. So you left it down. But So Jacob and his family, which consists at this time anyway, of 11 different sons, one daughter from four different wives. You have Rachel and Leah, and then their servants, who were also Jacob's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Okay, can we just gotta, we got to marinate there for a moment and talk about how crazy, wild, and honestly just messed up that is, right? But, but doesn't that just show you how God can do anything, no matter what we give him, right? And so, so much, and we're going to talk about Joseph today. That's our, that's our greatest hit, right? We're talking about the life of Joseph. And so much of the negative that Joseph will experience from this moment on, I want, I want to say this. It isn't his fault. In fact, now there's some of it that's his fault, right? He, he, 
he kind of brags a little too much, maybe. Maybe he shares some things that he should have held a little closer to the vest, so to speak. He's also a tattletale. Nobody likes a tattle. Nobody likes a snitch, right? Because snitches get stitches, right? Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes snitches get sold into slavery. But, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there in a minute. Um, that's, that's Joseph's story. Um, but so much of Joseph's life and so much of his problems aren't his fault. They are his father's fault. So, so, so some, some lessons that we can just take right then and there from the very start. Number one, here's what we learned from Jacob. How you live your life doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. And it, moms and dads, grandparents, how you live your life doesn't just impact you. It impacts your children. So much so that it impacts your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Even today, can I just tell you, there are things in my life, things that I deal with, things that I have had to face and will continue to have to face that are, are a product of men that I never met that came before me. Right? And so, so that's the first lesson. The second lesson we learned from Joseph, and here's what we can learn. You can spend your life blaming others for your situation. Or you can give it to the Lord, forgive them, and move on. And, and, there, and, and, I, and I think we can learn a lot from both of those men and both of those situations. One, we need to be aware that what we do or what we don't do has an impact in the people around us. And the second thing, the things that have been done to us, we can either be a victim or we can choose through Christ to be a victor. And you can never be a victor, and we're going to get there, so hold on. You can never be a victor as long as you live with unforgiveness in your heart. You will never overcome as long as you are overcome by unforgiveness, bitterness, and pain. All right, you guys ready? So Joseph's story, we introduced him. It says he's 17 years old. And I'm not reading this part, but I'm going to summarize it. I will try to move quickly, but you know, I don't make promises on that anymore. God gives, it's just a little bit later, you'll read in chapter 37, God gives Joseph two dreams. And you should go, you should read, just go start at Genesis 37 and read all the way through chapter 50, and you'll get the whole impact of Joseph's life. But God gives him two dreams, and I'm not going to tell you the dreams, but essentially what the dreams are saying is that one day Joseph will rule and reign over his own family. Essentially that his father and even his older brothers will bow before Joseph. And so Joseph's brothers, who, by the way, we've already established, they already hate Joseph, right? He's got, he's got, the, he's got the pretty ornate robe. He's got the coat of many colors. He's the tattletale, right? He's the snitch. And he's the one that our father loves the most. Now the youngest brother Joseph is coming around saying, hey, guess what, guys? I had a dream that God gave me that one day I'm going to sit on a throne and you're going to bow before me. And this is, this is a mistake that Joseph obviously made. Jesus says in the New Testament to not cast your pearl before swine. Don't give what's really valuable to you and put it in front of pigs and expect them to appreciate it. And so Joseph, where he should have held on to that dream, internalized it, and waited on God to keep, bring it out into fruition, what he starts doing, he starts bragging about it. And it's Joseph's who already hate him, literally now have made up their mind, we're going to kill him. And so he's 17 years old, and his brothers say, you know what, we're, he's coming. He, he goes out to check on them while they're tending the sheep, right? And so they say, here's that dreamer coming. And so they take this pit, and they throw Joseph in the pit. We don't know how big it was, but it was big enough that he couldn't climb out of it. 
I doubt they laid him gently in the pit, just for the record. They probably did a whole, um, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> Except they said, that's my coat, right? So they kicked Joseph in the pit, and I can't get that out. Gerard Butler just, anyway. And, and so they, they put Joseph in the pit, and they're going to kill him. But one of the brothers, I believe his name, I believe it was Reuben, has this idea. Why should we kill Joseph if we can make some money off of Joseph? And so they see some Ishmaelite traders coming down the road. And they're like, hey, let's don't kill the guy. Let's just let's sell him, make some money off of him, take that ugly coat that daddy got him, and, and put some goat's blood on it and say, hey, a bear ate your boy. Okay, big whoop. I don't care. Right? That's essentially what they do. And so the name of my sermon, by the way, is But God. And, and it's really simple. It's, uh, his brothers wanted to kill him, but God saved him. I believe, I believe the Lord sent those Ishmaelite traders, right? And they, they, they bought Joseph, and so they took him, and they sold Joseph to a man named Potiphar, right? You, JBQ, TBQ, whatever. we got to get some Bible quiz happening here. So they sell Joseph to a man, a man named Potiphar. And while he's working for Potiphar, Potiphar notices that it seems like everything Joseph touches gets better. That everything Joseph is involved in prospers in some way. And so it seemed like Joseph was sold into slavery, but God, over time, uses Joseph to bless Potiphar. And Pot excuse me, Joseph is promoted to be over every aspect of Potiphar's home and his affairs. And so Joseph is serving Potiphar, and we've had a lot of but God moments already in Joseph's life, but, but now we have a but Potiphar's wife moment in Joseph's life. And if you know the story, you know where I'm going. It, the Bible says that Joseph was a handsome and well-built young man. Hold on, I, th I thought it said my name. No, it's Joseph. Was, <laughs> that, was a two, that was a forced joke. Had I preached this sermon in first service, I'd have said it then, and then I wouldn't have said it now. Joseph was a handsome and well-built young man. I'm still a young man, right? Ben says no. Okay. Um, compared to Carlos, I am at least, right? Well-built young man. Potiphar's wife began to take notice of him and looked at him lustfully. She started putting the moves on Joseph. But he was committed to honoring Potiphar and he was committed to honoring the Lord. And one day, she had enough. And I don't know what VeggieTales episodes may cover this. But let's just say they probably use a lot more discretion than the Bible does when conveying this. If it was an episode on TV, it would have been rated TVMA. You know what I'm saying? And so she comes to Joseph, and she, she's trying to get him to go sleep with her. And Joseph takes off running. He really, even though the scripture hadn't been written yet, that said abstain even from the appearance of evil. And so, but Joseph does that. He begins to run, and as he runs, she grabs his cloak, and she takes the cloak to the guards, and she says to the guards, look, I've got Joseph's cloak. He tried to rape me, and I screamed, and then he ran away, and I took his cloak. And so she claims wrongfully that Joseph tried to put the moves on her, right? And so Potiphar, with no choice left, I, in my mind, it's, it's not in the Bible. I'm not saying it's there, but in my mind, I think Potiphar knows because he knows who he married, right? He knows what's going on. But at the same time, I don't think he had a choice. That's just my opinion. When we get to heaven, I'll ask, and I'll let you know if it's right or not, okay? But, but Potiphar has Joseph thrown in prison, and then Joseph is in prison. Now, I just, I just want to take a moment. Like, I have recapped the first part of Joseph's life very quickly. But you need to understand, for Joseph, this wasn't a very quick process. 
Joseph is, is betrayed by the people who should have loved him, the people who should have cared for him. Now, now, I understand Joseph may have made his own mistakes, but listen, when someone does you wrong, I, I, I want you to understand, at least according to Scripture, that does not give the, you a right to do them wrong. Two, two wrongs don't make a right, right? And so when someone hurts you, when someone betrays you, when someone is rude or mean to you, the Christ-like thing to do is to love them all the more. And so Joseph is hurt by his family. He's sold into slavery. He's trying to do a good job, but now he's being, being, being betrayed by someone that was an authority over his life. And so now Joseph is sitting in prison. Now remember, in Genesis 37, Joseph has a dream that one day I will be a person of great power and great authority and God's blessing will be on my life and and people will come to me and look to me and see me as someone who can help them and bless them and, and, and respect me and honor me for the leadership position that I have attained. But as Joseph is sitting in prison, reflecting on his life, many years later, you gotta think that there was a part of Joseph, Max, that started to think, man, this dream sounds more like a nightmare. This dream that God gave me, it's not a dream. Joseph was saying, and maybe you would even be saying today, God, I'm trying. I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to be faithful. But all the wrong things keep happening. God, this isn't what I signed up for. God, when I got married, I thought, I thought we would be living a fairy tale, not, not a tragedy. God, I thought when I had kids, like it would be the best thing that ever happened to me. But Lord, it's turning out to be the hardest thing that's ever happened to me. Not me, I'm talking about somebody else. God, when I started this job, this job that offered more money and less hours and all better benefits, God, it sounded great, but the longer I've worked here, the, the more I feel like the more I feel like I'm just stuck. I'm trapped. And you may not be in a physical prison, but maybe you feel like you're in a prison in your life, like you're trapped where you are. I want to tell you if, if that's how you feel today. You can take comfort in knowing that there was someone a few thousand years ago, and I don't say this lightly, but he probably had it even a little worse than you do. And just like Joseph will learn, you need to hear today that God still has his hand very much on your life. And so God, even in prison, promotes Joseph. Joseph becomes second in command under the warden of the prison. The warden loves Joseph, honestly, because Joseph makes his job easy. It's pretty funny. And so while in prison, Joseph makes two new friends. There is a cupbearer and a baker. Like, I think the cupbearer essentially just tasted the wine before he gave it to Pharaoh to make sure it wasn't poison. And he held his cup for him and just handed it to him. And the baker was a baker. And so they're hanging out one day, and the cupbearer comes to Joseph, and he says, man, I had a crazy dream last night. So the cupbearer starts to tell Joseph his dream, and Joseph, and I'm not going into it, you can go read it. Joseph says, hey, I know what that dream means. That dream means 
that in three days you're going to be freed from prison and Pharaoh will establish you back in the position that you originally had. The baker is listening to that. He thinks, man, I had a dream last night too. I like what Joseph had to say to this guy about his dream. I'm going to tell Joseph my dream. And so the baker tells Joseph his dream and Joseph said, oh, yeah, I know what that dream means. It means in three days you're going to be executed. And the baker immediately regretted his decision to ask. <laughs> but the dreams come true, right? And upon the cupbearer's release, Joseph says to him, Hey, remember me when you are in Pharaoh's presence. Tell him about my situation. Tell him I don't deserve to be here. Remember me. And so the cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh's side. And what does he do? He forgets. How many of you have ever for felt forgotten? Maybe you felt like God's forgotten you. Maybe you have felt like someone you love that should be sticking up for you and remembering you and helping you and being a blessing to you has forgotten you. I want to tell you today, the Lord has not forgotten you. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, wherever and whatever situation you find yourself in, the Lord has not forgotten you. And so Joseph spends two more years in prison. So by this time... Just so you know, he's 30 years old. He was 17 when he got sold into slavery. So even my Mississippi math can figure out. It's been 13 years since he had the dream, right? And one day, Pharaoh has a dream. Everybody say one day. One day. You know, one day can change everything. One moment, everything can change. I remember the day I found out this church was going to need a pastor. And I knew it just like that in a moment, in an instant. And I had been searching, I had been looking, I had been praying. And if I can be honest with you, I was incredibly discouraged. But the moment I found out that there was an opening in a church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that was my one day. And I knew the Lord was setting us up to be here. And, and, and your one day doesn't come when you're looking for it usually. One day just happens to you, right? And so one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And guess who hears Pharaoh talking about his dream? The guy who is closest to him, the cupbearer. And Pharaoh is saying, I don't know what this dream means. There were some fat cows and some skinny cows. There were some big kernels of grain and there were some little kernels of grain. I don't know if I just had too much, you know, Egypt Taco Bell last night or, or what, right? I'm really stretching hard trying to think of something, but uh, yeah, we'll go with it. And, and, and so I don't know if it was the Taco Bell or, for, if, or if it was God. And so the cupbearer says, hey, I remember, oh my goodness, I forgot all about this guy, Joseph. Yeah, he's in prison. Yeah, all the things. And, and Pharaoh says, well, get him cleaned up and bring him to me. So, so Joseph comes before Pharaoh and Pharaoh tells him his dream. And, and Joseph gives the interpretation. He says, oh, this is easy. I can give you the interpretation, not because I'm so smart, but because God has revealed it to me. And he says, okay, it just means that for seven years, Egypt is going to, experience uh, great abundance and great prosperity and then for the next seven years after that you're going to experience famine and, and great depression and so 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 Pharaoh you need to make sure for that for the next seven years you save up as much as you can so when the famine comes there will be food in Egypt and this is what Pharaoh says in verse 39 or chapter 41 Pharaoh said to Joseph since God now listen that's that's the new new living translation then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, but, but, but I marked it out, and I know I shouldn't do that. I didn't do it in my actual Bible. I just did it in my notes. And I wrote, I marked out since God, and I wrote, but God. Because that's really what's happening here. But God, 
Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders only from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. In other words, here's what's happened. God has taken Joseph from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison and now to the palace. I want to say it again. Just because... You do not in this moment, where you are, where you're sitting, and what you're going through, do not see God working on your behalf. Does not mean that in the spiritual world, God is not working on your behalf. God still has something for you. Your story's not over. Joseph's story's not over. And and what God is going to do in you, you're going to be able to look back one day. You're going you're gonna to look back at the pits that you've been in. You're going to look back at the, at the seemingly slavery that you've been feeling like you were trapped in. You're going to look back at the prisons you felt trapped in. And, you're gonna, and it's all going to make sense as you see how through that, all of the ups and downs, through all that God has done, through all that you've been through, through all the situations where people tried to hurt you and people tried to malign you and people tried to take from you, God's hand was still on you. And you're going to be able to see how God used all of that stuff that you went through to get you where you are so that you can be the person of influence, the person of blessing, the person who is anointed in the position to bless others because of what you've been through. Let me ask you this. Do you It's even with Jesus. You know, the author of Hebrews says, we do not have a great high priest who cannot be troubled with our problems, our afflictions, and our issues. In other words, because Jesus willingly chose to become a human and become a man and to go through temptation, to go through sicknesses, to go through situations like we all did, and to see everything that he saw and to experience everything that he experienced, he can relate to what it's like. So so here's the question for you. When you are talking to someone and when you need help from someone, do you want to talk to somebody who has never had a problem? Do you want to talk to someone who has always had it easy? No, I want to talk to someone who's been in the pit. I want to talk to someone who's been in the prison. I want to talk to someone who has felt trapped, who has felt like their life was hitting a dead end, who feels like the dream is turning into a nightmare. I want to talk to that person who has gone through hell and back and come out the other side and said, Jesus is still my Lord. Jesus is still king. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still in control. I want to talk to that person. See, we all want the palace. We do. We all want the benefits of the palace, right? We all want the benefits of what it's like to sit on the throne and to be the person of power, the person of influence. But before you can ever get to the palace, you've got to go through the pit. You have to. You you, you read this book and you find one person that God did something great in. And I will show you a person that God let go through some really great stuff. Do you follow? Whether we're talking about Joseph, whether we're talking about his father Jacob, whether we're talking about Abraham, whether we're talking about David, whether we're talking about Paul, whether we're talking about Jesus. God wants to do great things in you and through you. Job says it like this. I'm getting off notes, so forgive me, okay? I think Job Job went through some junk, right? You know, Job says this. He says, though, when he has tried me, and that word tried means tested. And the, the, the way that that word tested works in Hebrew is not like you take a test, like an exam. It means inspected. 
to see what it's made of. Job says, when he has tested me, I believe this is in Job chapter 20. When he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. See, the, the thing that, that we want, we want the pure gold, right? We want the palace. We want the position. We want the blessing. We want the anointing. But you got to go through the testing. you got to go through the pit. you got to go through the prison. you got to go through the pain. you got to go through the problems. Because there is stuff inside of you. And th- this is preaching that we don't like, right? This really, the prosperity gospel and this have a hard time getting along together. But there are things in you that the only way they're ever going to get out of you, this is hard, is through pain. But if you will stay faithful, if you will stay committed to your Father, I'm not saying the Lord's going to do it because he just wants to hurt you. That's not what I'm preaching today. You understand? But he'll use it all for your good and for his glory. And Joseph's story still isn't even over because nine years later, two years into the famine, Joseph's 40 years old now. And guess who comes to Egypt looking for food? The same brothers that threw him in that pit all those years ago. 23 years earlier. And Joseph, who had every right to hurt them, to punish them, to take out revenge on them, instead Joseph forgives them and he helps them. And Joseph, and you need to go read it. Go read, just read, start in Genesis 37 and go all the way to the end. I'll take it back. Just start in Genesis 1 and go all the way to Revelation. That'll do you good, right? (laughs) Joseph's dream was fulfilled. His family was saved. And ultimately the Hebrew people were saved, which ultimately led lineage-wise to the birth of Jesus, right? Amen. All right. That was my introduction. (laughs) All right. Three quick lessons that we can learn from Joseph's life. Number one, lesson number one, God is with you. That's really simple, Pastor Drew. Did you come up with that all by yourself? No, I got it from the Bible. (laughs) Smart aleck. Lesson one, God is with you. And the reason why that's important is because there's a lot of times things you're going through in your life, you don't feel like God is with you at all. And, And can't you imagine that multiple times throughout Joseph's life that he probably felt like God has abandoned me. But five different times through Joseph's story, starting in Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50, it says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And I want to say this, the Lord was with Joseph, but that did not exempt Joseph from betrayal from his family, temptation to commit sin, slander and unjust imprisonment, and disappointment over being forgotten and overlooked. So today, you may, you may be struggling because someone that should have protected you betrayed you. You may be struggling today because temptation to commit sin seems to be overwhelming you. You may be struggling today because people are talking about you and saying things about you and proclaiming things about you that are wrong. And you may be struggling today because you're disappointed because you feel forgotten and overlooked. But I want to tell you today, the Lord is with you even if you don't feel like it. Even if you feel forgotten, the Lord is with you. And just because life has gotten hard doesn't mean God's abandoned you. Just because things haven't gone as you expected doesn't mean God's done with you. And just because the dream has seemingly turned into a nightmare, the story isn't over. Lesson number two, God's favor is on you. 
God's favor is on you. Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes and became his attendant. This is talking about when Potiphar put him in charge. It goes on, it says, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptians because of Joseph. Because favor doesn't just flow to you, favor flows through you. In Genesis 39, it says, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in eyes of the prison warden. Here's the deal about favor. Favor is God's unmerited blessing on your life. And I love saying this, favor ain't fair. Favor is mentioned 126 times throughout the Bible. And favor is a product of God's grace. And if mercy is me not getting what I deserve, then, then grace is getting what I don't deserve. Does that make sense? So, so I, don't get, I don't get hell, I don't get death, but I do get abundant life and I do get heaven because Jesus paid my price so that I could get his reward. And that's part of God's favor. And another thing about favor is that your mistakes... And the unfair treatment from others, they do not disqualify you or cancel out the favor of God. I think something that we often think about favor is that when I start facing opposition, that means the favor is vanished. But, but I think the enemy attacks those of us doing something for the kingdom the hardest. If God's got his hand on your life in a special way, your, your human inclination might be to think that that exempts you from problems. But... Truthfully, in the spirit world, if God's got his hand on your life, can I just tell you, and you may not like this, it's kind of putting a, 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 an exclamation mark over you so the enemy knows that's who I need to attack the most. The greater the favor, the greater the opposition. So lesson number one, God's with you. Lesson number two, God's favor is on you. Lesson number three, God always has a purpose. In Genesis 45, Joseph says, please come closer. To his brothers. So they came closer. And he says to them. Hey I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. Whom you sold into slavery. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves. Sending me to this place. It was God. Who sent me here. Ahead of you. To preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years. Will last for five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you. To keep you and your families alive. To preserve many survivors. Joseph is saying, you sold me, but God sent me. Joseph is saying, Potiphar unjustly threw me in prison, but God placed me there. Joseph is saying, the cupbearer forgot about me, but God said, hold on. I'm almost ready to show you what all of this is for. And Joseph remembered that in all things, God always has a purpose. And that's why Joseph never pulls the victim card. That's why, that's why Joseph never pulls the entitled card. That's why Joseph never pulls that card. And here's the thing. You don't have to either. I'm not saying God did it. All the things that you've endured. All the things that you've gone through. And honestly, if we're, if we're going to be real about it, if you continue to live for a good while longer, there will be more things that you're going to go through that are going to be hard and going to be difficult and going to be challenging. I'm not saying God's doing it, but I am saying that God, if you will let him, will use it for your good and for his glory. The abuse that you endured. The devil, the devil wants to whisper in your ear and say, hey, remember how they treated you? He wants to hand you that card, that abuse card, and say, hey, hold up your victim card. Show them how bad you've got it. Listen, 
I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's painful. But because of the finished work of Christ, you can hand that victim card to Jesus in exchange for a victor card. Pastor, you don't know how bad it was. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You don't know how they exploited me. I don't. I don't. I'm so sorry. I don't. But I do know that if you continue to live with unforgiveness and a victim mentality, you won't hurt them, but you will, you will disable yourself. That's heavy, though. That neglect, that tragedy, that pain. I just want to tell you, I, I thought I would be preaching loud and exclamatory right now, but honestly, I just feel a heaviness on it because I... Maybe today, something that happened 30 years ago is still weighing so heavy on you. And you still carry that with you, that pain. And you think that by holding on to the bitterness, by holding on to the unforgiveness, by holding on to the pain, that it's going to protect you. But the Lord would say to you, because He loves you, He says, listen, you're not, you're not helping yourself. You're hurting yourself. And chances are that bitterness, even though you don't mean for it to, because you th see, favor flows to you and then flows through you. Listen, bitterness will flow through you just the same. Yeah. Unforgiveness will flow through you just the same. When you're not looking, when you don't expect it, it will come out of your mouth. It will come out of your actions. And the Lord is saying, listen, I know they were wrong. But it's time to let it go. Don, will you, just come, will you come now? I, had, I got some more, but I, I just want to be done. The most beautiful thing to me in Joseph's story isn't how God brought him from the pit to the palace. The most beautiful thing in Joseph's story to me is that the people who he could have and should have punished, he forgave and blessed. And he established that legacy of no longer playing that victim card, no longer holding up the... See, I heard another preacher say this this week, so I'm not, this isn't original with me, but he said, you know, we've all got scars. Jesus has scars, right? He goes to the disciples and he says, hey, look at, look at these scars on my hand. Look at the scars on my side. You know the difference between a wound and a scar is that for a wound to heal, you've got you to leave it alone. And many of us in this room today, we've been carrying around wounds for so long. And they don't have a chance to heal. And if you'll let them heal, they'll turn into a scar. You know what another word for a scar is? Testimony. See, I can show you my scar. I can show you the pain that I endured. Because I can brag on the Lord who brought me through it. You see, I can talk about the things that I've gone through in my life and I can do it with lifted hands in worship because I know I'm not a victim. I know that the God who brought me out of the pit and established me is faithful and just to carry me on in whatever plan He has for my life. 
And so I don't have to be bitter with my father for what he did. I don't have to be bitter with my mother for what she did. I don't have to, to, to speak hate and condemnation over that boss that hurt me, over that so-called friend who betrayed me. No, no, no. See, I don't do that because what I do is I take my wounds to the Lord and I say, Jesus, I need you to pour in the Neosporin, right? Come on, I need, I need the peroxide. I need uh, the, the New Testament verbiage is oil and wine. That's what was poured on this, uh, the man when the Samaritan helped him. To pour it on, Jesus, your love and your grace and your mercy. And I need you to turn this wound, God. I need you to heal it and turn it into a scar so that my mess can become a message, so that my test can become a testimony. And to me, that's the most beautiful part of Joseph's story. Not, not that his dream was fulfilled. Not that he made it to the palace. Not that he made it to the throne. But when he did, and when he had the power to dish out justice, all he gave was grace. And so jo Joseph becomes like an Old Testament version of Jesus, right? That when he had every right, as we nailed him to that cross, to dish out justice, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Listen, I know you've been hurt. And I do not belittle that or undermine that at all. But it is time to ask the Lord to heal that wound. To breathe healing over your life. To let that person off the hook. See, we don't forgive and forget. That's the, wor the world come up with that garbage. You know what the Word of God says is we forgive and we remember. We don't, we don't remember what they did to hurt us, but we remember the Lord who brought us through it. That's what we remember. That's our testimony. That's our praise. That's our shout. That's our worship. That's our jump. That's our dance. Come on, will you stand with me? I know it's one o'clock, but there's someone in this room. There's probably a few. You for years have held on to hate. You have held on to bitterness. You have held on to unforgiveness. And the Lord, because of his love for you, would say, listen, listen, my child, it is time. It is time to take that victim card and throw it away. Tear it up. And listen, I got a victor card right here. I got an overcomer card right here. I got a victory card right here. I want you to carry this. Listen, that wound that you've been poking at and that you've been picking at, and the devil every so often, he comes by and he says, hey, remember that hurt? Remember that pain? Remember that? I, I got to be careful doing that to you. Remember, remember? And the devil wants to poke it, and he wants to flick it, and he wants to mess with it. And the Lord would say, listen, I can pour some healing balm over that. And you'll still see the scar. But the next time he starts poking at it, you can just laugh in his ugly, wretched little face and say, not today, devil. I've been healed by the power of the blood of Jesus. I've been set free because the one who knows me, the one who sees me, we sang it earlier, the one who knows me best loves me most. And if he can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, then I can forgive them even when they knew what they were doing. I no longer will drink that poison of unforgiveness and expect it to hurt them. So today, if you need to forgive and remember, remember what the Lord has done. If you're ready for that wound to be turned into a beautiful scar that you can point to and say, Lord, I thank you that this pain no longer has precedence in my life. 
but I have been set free by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. If you're ready to lay it down and let it go, I want to invite you to this altar right now.